Before we begin, just a warning, this podcast discusses child abuse. I'm Willow. I'm the CEO of Safeguarding Children here in New Zealand, and I'm passionate about preventing child abuse and ensuring that we do all we can to get children the help they need early. I believe that child abuse is preventable, not inevitable. I'm particularly interested in creating child-safe organisations. I have over 35 years' experience working with children, families and the very people in positions of trust who work and volunteer in roles of children. I'm going to be sharing my child safeguarding insights with you and introduce you to some of the incredible people I meet in my role who work tirelessly to protect and advocate for our most vulnerable citizens. I wish I didn't need to be talking about preventing child abuse. I wish that all children were safe, but sadly, that's not the case. So before you think this isn't the podcast for me, remember, we're all stakeholders. We were all children once and we've all experienced childhood. Corny as it sounds, children are our future. All of us as adults will be parents or have friends or family who are children. Some of you will be frontline workers who want to learn how to keep other people's children safe. So join me on each episode because knowledge is powerful and I know that together we will make a difference. Hi Claire, lovely to see you and um, thank you for joining us on our podcast together. Um, We know each other through working with each other over the last few years, haven't we? Particularly in the world of sport and children's rights and those types of um, aspects. So it's great to have you here today and um, you're my favourite expert on the rights of children and you're an amazing advocate for um, children and through the work that we do at Safeguarding Children, one of the things that um, we know that is people really um, do not have an understanding of the rights of children and if they do, if they know um, about the global legislation related to the rights of children, um, they're not necessarily um, sure of how that applies to them in everyday life or in everyday practice. So, for example, um, how it... um, applies to if they um, provide services where children go or services for children, how that um, international legislation and national legislation actually cascades down into their roles and services that they provide. So um, could you just explain about the um, rights of children and the international rights of children and how that works? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm Kira Willow and thanks so much for the invitation to join you on together. Uh, so nice to be in conversation with you about this really important kaupapa. Uh, as you said, um, in here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we've still got a long way to go when it comes to lifting people's understanding of um, children's rights, what they mean, what they are. Um, and so I love that first part I around, you know, how, how, what are children's rights and how can we actually uh, ensure people working with children and children's sector know what they are. So I guess just to um, start right at the very basics, um, so children's rights are a specific subset of human rights. Um, it goes back to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is the uh, legal document that sets out a range of specific rights for children. 
And these are for all children in all circumstances. Um, so no matter who a child is, where they're from, um, where they're born, where they're growing up, uh, they are entitled to these rights that are set out under the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And the document was put together back in 1989. Um, and New Zealand ratified this um, international instrument uh, a couple of years later. And actually just a couple of weeks back, it was the 30th anniversary of New Zealand ratifying the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. So it's quite a long history now in terms of how long uh, Aotearoa New Zealand has uh, been signed up to this particular uh, international law instrument. And so what does the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child actually do and say? Well, essentially a good way to understand it is that it's a collection of rights that are specific to children, that uh, governments that have signed up to this convention, which are um, almost all the governments around the world, uh, should have agreed to uphold these rights for all children in countries. So when a government signs up to the Convention on the Rights of the Child, they're essentially saying, yes, we agree that we will take on the duty of making these rights real in practice for children. And so that means then that all children in that country are what we call rights holders. So they are entitled to experience those rights. And in the Convention, we can find um, a range of rights for children that cover pretty much all aspects of children's lives. Um, right from their health and well-being through to their cultural rights, uh, through to really basic things like the right to housing um, and things like the right to be free of uh, child abuse and neglect. Uh, when it comes to sort of the central parts of the convention, there's also um, four guiding principles that are rights in and of themselves in the convention, but they're also known as these general principles, which means that when we are seeking to uphold or apply a particular child's rights, um, these general principles should flow through um, that experience of applying children's rights. So these are the, the rights around Article 2, right to non-discrimination, Article 3, which is all about the best interests of the child, and the best interests of the child needing to be upheld in matters to do with um, a child. Article 6, which relates to um, the right to life and survival and development. Uh, so very relevant to the mahi that um, you do at safeguarding children. And then the fourth general principle is Article 12 of the Convention, which is about children's participation. And what that right says is that children have a right to be and involved and make their views it is that and so as you hopefully get a feel for um, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is a really holistic document that relates to children's lives and all their wholeness and that's um, part of the reason why I love it the other thing that I think is really important for us to recognize and especially in our um, context of Aotearoa New Zealand is that the convention makes it really clear both in the preamble and in Article 5 of the convention that children are part of their family, part of their father, and that they 
thrive best in the atmosphere of um, whānau and belonging and knowing the identity um, of their family and whānau. And so if we think about our particular bicultural um, context here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we can look at the Convention on the Rights of the Child alongside Te Piriti o Waitangi, alongside the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And actually these different uh, documents that sure they have different legal status, uh, but actually um, together they form a really complementary uh, framework and a really clear uh, pathway for us around how we can um, be doing better on uh, the rights of children in Aotearoa and indeed you know, particular rights that we must uphold. But for all children um, as well. So just recently, Claire, you were in Geneva with um, a team of other children's rights um, advocates um, and you were there representing Aotearoa New Zealand. Um, and I was listening to some of the, um, you know, presentations and the... Um, you know, how basically um, looking at how Aotearoa New Zealand were doing in relation to children's rights. Um, and I think a lot of people don't re don't realise that we don't really do very well for our children. Um, and there was quite a few points that I was listening to that um, I think the average person in the street would be really disappointed to realise that we're failing children in that way. So just talking about your experience of being in Geneva, what were the things that came out of that recent visit there that were the the points where we could do better, um, where we're not doing very well for our children? Yes, so um, recently, as you said, Willow, I um, had the opportunity to travel across to Geneva where the um, human rights headquarters of the UN, the United Nations, are located. And so I went over as part of a civil society um, delegation um, in my voluntary capacity role as a steering committee member of the Children's Rights Alliance Aotearoa in New Zealand. So um, that organisation holds a mandate with the United Nations to um, provide a civil society report to the Union Committee on the Rights of the Child um, every um, six to eight years, basically giving an overview from a civil society perspective on how we're doing under the Convention on the Rights of the Child for Children in Tamariki here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And then so basically um, through that mahi we worked with a whole range of um, children's organisations, um, academics, people who work in um, areas connected to children's rights and wellbeing um, to provide this clear picture to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child about what's actually going on for um, children in Tamariki here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And are we actually um, upholding all of those rights under the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child? Alongside that, the government puts forward its own uh, report to the committee um, as well. And so this um, UN Committee on the Rights of the Child is made up of 18 um, experts in children's rights from around the world. They sit on that committee in their independent capacity. Um, and then across the course of two days in Geneva, um, our New Zealand government was basically reviewed through a review process with that committee, which is a open uh, and constructive dialogue where the committee basically asked the government range wide range of questions um, around the situation for children's rights in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, 
So our role as civil society um, as part of that review was to uh, be in the room to observe and uh, others such as yourself who were able to uh, join into that uh, broadcast on UN TV. Um, our role there also was to um, work with the committee members to answer any particular questions that they had and follow up to what the government was saying and also to uh, help to advocate and influence the um, concluding observations that came out of that review. And so essentially these, uh, don't you love all the UN te technical speak, but um, concluding observations are basically the set of recommendations that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child puts through to the government following on from that review. And it's a really comprehensive document, as I um, sort of touched on earlier, Children's rights are um, need to be understood as being uh, interdependent and indivisible. So you can't just look at one right in isolation. You have to look at the whole. And that very much comes through in these concluding observations. And you're right, Willow. Um, the committee pointed out to the New Zealand government that we have a long way to go when it comes to upholding children's rights in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Yes, the committee was really clear. There are some things that our um, government that we as a country are doing well when it comes to children's rights and there has been progress made over the past few years so this review covered uh, the past six years so absolutely some positive developments in there for example we now have legislation around child poverty reduction successive governments required to set targets to reduce poverty affecting children and their families we have the child and youth well-being strategy and there have been areas of progress when it comes to addressing some really uh, tricky issues um, that affect children as well. But then alongside those positive developments, the committee was absolutely clear in its concluding observations that New Zealand has got to do better when it comes to children's rights. And this is um, in, a, in a wide range of areas. Um, so, for example, um, the committee was very clear that We've got to do better in addressing um, children's rights to health, to housing. These are very, very basic things um, that all children should be able to grow up, for example, in a healthy, safe, secure home um, so that they get that really positive start in life. The committee was clear as well in its concluding observations that we have a big problem when it comes to uh, equity in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and that right now there are so many inequitable outcomes for our child population. And if we look, for example, at our most recent child poverty statistics uh, published by StatsNZ earlier this year, um, you know, the numbers of children who are living in material hardship continue to be really, really high. We're talking about, you know, one in five, one in four um, when it comes to our living in material hardship, so that's living without you know, five or six or more of the basic items, the essentials uh, for well-being. That's one thing that really shocked me, Claire. So I've been lived in New Zealand for 14 years now, and um, in the roles that I did initially working as a plunket nurse, for me, I was really, really surprised to see children living in what I would say, absolute poverty. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and it was really, really concerning to me. And, and from my point of view, that isn't an aspect of New Zealand that people 
um, realise that occurs. It wasn't something that I knew about Aotearoa New Zealand when I came and it was really, really shocking. I saw children living in poverty. I saw parents that are unable to afford to take the children to the doctor. I've seen um, families that have been unable to actually afford to get the prescription when they've actually been prescribed the medication. And some of those things have improved, but there are still aspects that I think, um, I don't think um, the rest of the world would realise that they're issues for the, the children of Aotearoa New Zealand. It would be surprised to them to learn that those aspects of poverty. I really agree with you, um, Willow, and um, in some of my wider work in the children's rights space, I um, teach over at a university in the Netherlands where I previously studied. And um, I have to say, when I'm teaching students in the children's rights space there, I always, um, when it comes to sort of touching on a situation of children's rights in Aotearoa in New Zealand, when I share insights around the situation when it comes to uh, family poverty, to our mental health, and addiction and housing crises when it comes to our situation around child abuse and neglect. Um, students, and, and often in my classes, there's students from all around the world, they're often very surprised up to hear that this is part of our reality here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and I think for us as a nation, you know, it's um, really incumbent on us that we reflect on uh, where we are as a society when uh, it we have such significant issues that are affecting children's lives um, inequitably and in negative ways um, and because we know that solutions are possible um, but it really takes us all I think to um, collectively recognize that these are issues that we have to tackle and then working together to actually um, ensure that you know all children's rights in all circumstances are, are able to be upheld because it's one thing to have, you know, a set of, um, of rights set down in an international instrument, but the value of having that instrument in the first place is how those rights are translated into real lived experiences and everyday lives for children and for their families and whanau. And one of the things that interests me is um, we work with lots of organisations that provide services for children, and, and it's the fact that um, those people need to understand that children have these unique rights that apply to them and the reasons why. And um, one of the things that we've realised is, and we realised many years ago, that if that, that foundation is laid and people understand that and how it applies to them um, and they have um, education and training around the rights of children, then they're, they're more likely to actually consider children in their everyday work and the things that they do but the number of times that we work with organizations and they don't realize that this piece of international legislation actually exists and that New Zealand have signed up to it and that we're not doing very well and we need to do better and um, so for us when we're running our training that is our foundation point is reminding people of you know what New Zealand has signed up to and why it's important um, and because for me, it's it's um, everybody should be aware of those rights, not just the politicians, not just the government. It affects everything, doesn't it? It absolutely affects everything: how services are delivered, um, how you see your lo your local community, um, the lives that children have out and about, and how they're considered. 
Yeah. So um, it is really interesting. And, and for me, it's something that is taught at university for various specialist subjects, but it's not something that's cascaded down into the general population. So I would like to see more of that. <laughs> um, I'd like, yeah. So what's the way forward? So after going to Geneva and, um, you know, the um, recommendations have been released, what's, what, what happens next, Claire? Is there a hive of activity where people are all, you know, did you come away cheering? Did you feel, did you and your, the team that you were, did you feel full of hope? Did you feel full of despair? Did you feel motivated? And what's the next stages? What happens next? Yeah, a few things to sort of um, share back to you on that front. Well, I think, um, first of all, really interesting observation that you make around the need for us to ensure that uh, more people, and yes, as you say, everyone in Aotearoa, New Zealand, knows first of all about the existence of uh, this this uh, document, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, but then helping people to understand what children's rights actually are. Um, and the convention is really clear around uh, that governments who sign up to this document have an obligation to share information, to disseminate information about the convention um, so that people uh, do have access to that education about it. And the convention is really clear that children themselves uh, must have an opportunity to, to learn about uh, the convention, to know about their rights. And so I really think that uh, that, go, that needs to start right back early on in, you know, early childhood, basically, um, so that we start building that understanding amongst children and young people themselves about their rights. And, you know, that also intersects with things like civics education, which we really need to lift our game in Aotearoa, New Zealand, when it comes to that. And then just picking up on um, your other observation, Willow, around um, our professionals who are working in uh, providing services and supports for uh, families and whanau and indeed for children and rangatahi themselves. Often um, they, they may in their um, studies or training somewhere have briefly touched on the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, but it's not normally an aspect of, of education and training uh, for vocations in our social services where you go really deep on it. Uh, and so I really agree with you. It would be great if we can lift awareness and understanding across our climate here, across our social sector, around the Convention. Uh, and that's really relevant in uh, my day job as um, CEO of social service providers Te Paiora or Aotearoa, so we're a collective membership-based organisation of social service providers working in communities around Ngātū, um, from Te Hiko Te Ika up north to Muriku, um, and the our members are, are working every day with children and anatahi and their whanau. Um, and often I was saying to them, you know, the work that you're doing is, is essentially the work of children's rights. Um, but there's often um, a bit of a gap in, in understanding around what the convention actually says um, and some of the, the specifics of that. So um, it's something in my work with social service providers to Paiora or Aotearoa that I'm really passionate about helping people to lift their matauranga around uh, the Children's Convention and indeed how it intersects with Te Tiriti or Waitangi um, in our, our bicultural context. And then just to, to go to your uh, pātai willow around, you know, how, how did um, 
uh, me and my colleagues feel when we um, went away, came, came home from Geneva and um, reflected on the concluding observations. Look, I think it's fair to say that we feel that it's a really strong set of concluding observations that the committee has made. Um, and that's really important, especially because the reporting period now is going to be extended out from six to eight years. So it's going to be another eight years until uh, the New Zealand government um, is reporting to the Committee on the Rights of the Child. And so we're really pleased that uh, the concluding observations cover a wide range of children's rights. They are pretty holistic. There's also some really specific actionable uh, recommendations in the concluding observations. For example, when it comes to uh, Article 19 of the Convention that says that all children have a right to be free of violence, abuse and neglect in their lives. Uh, the Committee on the Rights of the Child has been very clear about some other things that it's recommended the New Zealand government does. For example, ensuring that there's a, a much stronger focus on children and their rights in Te Auririkura, the national strategy to prevent uh, family and sexual violence. Really pleased to see that. Um, also, the committee is making clear that we need to be investing in prevention um, when it comes to um, children and, and families and so that we're actually getting in early, strengthening families and whānau, equipping them with those skills that are often innately there but just need a bit of support in some instances to be brought out. Um, the committee's clear that it's an area that we need to be uh, investing in, that government needs to be investing in, focusing more on so that all children's rights can be uh, better upheld. Um, the concluding observations also cover uh, really strongly, for example, around um, mental health. Very clear that we need a specific focus on children when it comes to suicide prevention and in particular on our tangata whenua, tapa, our young Māori boys. Um, there's also some clear recommendations around um, children with disabilities, for example, which is a really important area where we know we've got a long way to go and not here on New Zealand. So, look, overall, um, the concluding observations give a quite clear roadmap uh, for action. Um, with the Children's Rights Alliance, we are a part of a collective monitoring mechanism called the Children's Convention Monitoring Group. And that group has a mandate to work with government directly on developing a work program to essentially implement an action of the concluding observations. So that's what we're now focused on in that area. Um, we've already had some positives quoted all with government around how that might happen. So that's a sort of watch this space. The mahi will be hitting over the coming um, few months this year um, and we're really clear that we will continue to hold government to account to implement and action these concluding observations in a tangible way um, so that we can uh, continue on our progress on advancing children's rights in our country. Well, that's great to hear. And it's um, really exciting for me to hear that um, you and your colleagues came away with full of lots of hope for the future and um, some really um, good insights into what needs to to happen. So that um, makes my heart sing, Claire, but there is such a, a long way to go. One of the things that I'm always curious about, and I've had people um, ask me before, um, can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me. Is what happens, 
if a country that is signed up to the United Nations right to the child, if they don't actually um, fulfil the recommendations, because is there a carrot and is there a stick? <laughs> do you know, because I'm going out there talking to, do you know, people that work with children, talking to communities. And so, for example, do you know, do you know from the work that we do, it might be that if an organisation does not, um, do you know, comply with the Children's Act, um, well, for me, the Children's Act is a weak piece of legislation. There isn't a carrot and there isn't a stick with that. Um, but, you know, some organisations might not get a government contract because they're not fulfilling their um, obligations around, um, you know, keeping children safe. So what happens if our government are not actually um, acting upon those recommendations? Do they end up on the naughty step? globally what actually happens what is what is the stick that actually is it just pleading to hearts and minds and you know not being shamed in an international forum what actually happens do we that's the thing i've never understood so i love the fact that there's the united nations rights of the child but if you if a country that signed up doesn't comply what happens yeah, such a relevant question. And I think essentially this is a question that um, sits at the very heart of um, international law that I've um, sort of gone quite deep on with my um, academic studies. And so it is something that I've wrestled with as well, Willow, and it's often on my mind. Um, you're right uh, when it comes to a um, international treaty such as the Convention on the Rights of the Child, there is actually a, a, a legal duty on any state uh, government that has ratified or acceded to that convention to um, implement uh, the measures in the convention in practice. As we know, uh, this doesn't always happen. And so then, yes, the, the question does become, so is there a way to enforce that? Um, that's where international law uh, arguably has some weaknesses. Um, because it does at the moment essentially fall back on uh, yeah, any one particular government um, choosing to ensure that it's acting as a good citizen and doing its collective bit to uphold um, those particular uh, rights of children. Of course, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we do have um, our own domestic laws as well that work in tandem with the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And so obviously... Um, legal challenge can be brought throughout courts um, under those particular laws. Um, as well though, at the international level now, um, there's recently been, so there's three um, what they call optional protocols that um, sit sort of nested in association with the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, and so the third optional protocol is around a communications procedure under the Convention, um, which New Zealand just recently um, ratified, uh, which is great news, because what this uh, third optional protocol sets out is a right for children to actually uh, make complaints themselves directly to the Committee on the Rights of the Child, where they, um, they or their representatives, and also they can complain as a collective, as a group of children, um, where they believe that their rights have been breached or violated under the Convention, they can bring forth that complaint um, to the Committee, and the Committee can actually issue a uh, 
what's called a, a view on um, that particular situation. Now, there are some caveats to this that I should be really clear about of the biggest one. I like that idea. I've got yeah. a vision of like four-year-olds like marching and taking yeah, concerns yeah. to the committee, but it's probably not going to happen. What does it actually mean in practice, Claire? Well, I think, you know, it's something really interesting if we look at it from an intergenerational perspective and especially in our context of, um, you know, rapidly warming planet and um, our climate emergence. Arguably, the decisions that are being made right now today uh, when it comes to a four-year-old um, are going to really affect the whole lifetime and trajectory of their life course. So, um, you know, I think there's really strong um, arguments that... Um, these kinds of cases and uh, complaints should be brought on on behalf of younger children. Um, and so it will be really interesting to see if they're, they're being brought forward to the committee. Um, as I was saying, there are some caveats. So, for example, the biggest one being that um, children need to have, uh, again, another technical legal term, but exhausted legal remedies domestically uh, before they can take a complaint to the Committee on the Rights of the Child. So what that means is that uh, domestic complaints processes need to be worked through first. Um, and then if there's no um, adequate resolution to a particular situation, that's when um, a child can uh, or a group of children can take forward their complaint to the Committee the child. So look, quite a mixed picture, I guess, is what I'm saying when it comes to how do we actually um, adequately and effectively enforce the Convention on the Rights of the Child. But I also come back to um, the role of advocacy here. And that's so, so important, advocacy and monitoring, um, and especially from our civil society um, in Aotearoa New Zealand, because it is about uh, continuing to advocate to our government that, hey, You've signed up to these particular obligations. You owe them to all children. You are the primary duty bearer under the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, and what what steps are you actually taking um, to enforce those rights? And, you know, we need to be, I think, loud and proud about bringing forward some other solutions, if you like, to some of those really big vexing issues around children's rights, like our housing crisis, poverty, um, child abuse and neglect, mental health. Um, we know that solutions are within reach and they often sit within our families and whanau themselves, then children and rangatahi themselves. Our children and rangatahi have immense wisdom um, and I think we do a lot better in our country if we are more and more listening to their voices and their views um, so that we can... Um, be building a better today but also a better tomorrow as well and I think your point Willow around hot such an important one you know and especially in the mahi that we do in this space we can never afford to lose um, our hope um, and we always need to be aspirational for uh, the well-being and the outcomes of the whole order the order that of our children in Tariki we really owe it to them because it is about their their lives right now, but it's also about their futures and our, our collective future as well. Thank you. It's been so interesting and it, it's really heartening to hear that there are people like you and um, you are my favourite child advocate and uh, you'll continue to be that. You explain it beautifully 
And um, I'm really passionate about the wonder of childhood and the preservation of childhood and what it actually means. And um, and I think that as a society, if we um, really recognise the importance of childhood and that, you know, um, in the terms of Whitney Houston, they are our future. They really are our future. Um, and we need to um, look after our Tamariki and Rangatahi and um, give them a bright and hopeful future. So um, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you for all of your colleagues that work so hard. And um, and I think it's just important to note that you um, spoke about the fact in a voluntary capacity that you do this work in a voluntary, yeah, voluntary capacity. It's just incredible. And um, so heartening to know that there are people like you and many advocates for children around our um, country and thank you for all, all you, you do and thank you for translating it so beautifully into everyday terms. It's just amazing and I really appreciate your time. Take care.